Hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up, and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge. You grab the bull by the horns. You find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You're listening to DraftKings Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo and Golick. Mike Golick Jr., Mike Golick Sr., Jesse Cofield holding it down for us in the other DraftKings Boston studio here. It's the Dark Angel version of the studio. There. I'm scared. Uh, sleek and deadly. <laughs> yeah. A little bit. A little scary. A lot of, lot, of, lot of dark colors around there. Very ominous. We hope Jesse's going to survive. Lift her up in prayer. Uh, we have a great show for you guys. We are brought to you by Wrangler. Made for the ride of life. Save 15% on your first Wrangler.com order with promo code GOJO15. Got a great show for you, as always. Download, subscribe, rate, review. Leave us a five-star rating and watch us. Check us out live here, Monday through Friday, 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern, right here on the DraftKingsNetwork.com, DraftKings YouTube channel, Samsung TV Plus, Roku, and more. Peter Burns from the SEC Network going to join us here to talk about everything going on there, Dad. You might have the leading Heisman candidate in the Southeastern Conference after Jaden Daniels set some offensive records for LSU this weekend. Texas A&M and Mississippi State have now both fired their head coaches. Dad, I'm starting to get to the point where I'm a little worried this is like a final destination thing where everybody connected with that Texas A&M Mississippi State game is now going to lose their job in some fashion after this game which would mean i'm on the chopping block here soon either that or wherever you go to do a game those teams are on the chopping block what do you have this week iowa state and texas so i mean maybe some personnel on those teams not necessarily head coaches better be careful because gojo's coming to town and uh that means you know he's bringing the guillotine with him i don't know we'll have to uh we'll have to wait and see we also have to wait and see if we're going to get a live guest this week, you're going to become an uncle again this week. I'm going to become a grandfather again this week. So it's going to happen this week. We believe your sister, Sydney, is is ready to go. Is and today the due date? Uh, I think today or tomorrow is the due date. So wow. 
We are all waiting on pins and needles. No one more than Sydney to, I, as I have never been pregnant, nor you, Mike, Jesse, you have. I'm sure at the end of this, you're ready to go and ready to be done with this thing. It isn't the most probably thing that, that, that first time moms think is they're going to have the baby on time. And a lot of time it's, it's passed. It's, it's comes late. Yeah. I think you have all this anxiety about like, once you hit 36 weeks, they tell you the baby can come at any time. So you're like, oh my God, like I got to be ready, blah, blah, blah. And then normally it doesn't happen. It comes late. So I think that's a first baby thing. I don't know. But yeah, I would be really surprised. I think it's probably going to be a couple days. It's her first. So, you know, when, when you say exactly when, when the baby the comes nightmare late. nightmare scenario that my sister's imagining there, who's so ready to be done with this, so over being pregnant. Mm -hmm. Exactly what? what every person nearing that nine-month mark wants to hear is, oh, don't worry, it's probably going to take even longer. Yeah, But, Mike, who do you feel worse for in this situation? Sydney or Mom. her husband, Ben? Uh, Mom. Or mom, I would say. Mom. Well, Ben's Ben is in the in the area. I remember I I got you know kind of scratched and 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 pulled on, you know, because I'm right there. Mom's not going to be in the delivery room. Ben is, and I I feel bad for Ben, big tough football player. Now in med school, he's going to get abused <laughs> if this yeah. baby is late. Yeah, he will. But it's yeah. No, uh, the answer is I feel worse for my mom because I know what comes <laughs> after this for her. So the answer is as always her. Ben's gonna be fine. He's a tough guy. He's been working yeah. in doctor school right now, so he's gonna be used to some of this. I think he did one of the rotations around yes. childbirth and everything there. So he's at least got some preparation. I feel like because of that, he's walking into the party with at least an understanding. Now it's the Mike Tyson line. Everybody's got to pl plan until they get punched <laughs> in the mouth. And uh, Dad, that might be. Um, what Ben and the Buffalo Bills have in common oh. right now after last night is we all thought, oh, what a perfect get-right game for the Buffalo Bills. We've got them Denver Broncos rolling into town, and yeah, the Broncos might have beaten the Chiefs, and yeah, the Broncos might be rolling in here feeling a little bit better than they did after they got boat raced by 70 points getting hung on them. But Dad, looking at that game last night, that the Denver Broncos somehow win in the most excruciating fashion, 24-22, I have to ask you this question. You have a former longtime NFL defensive player. Last night in that game, who would you have rather been? The Broncos defense or the Bills defense? Because watching this game, I felt equally bad for both. As on one side, the Buffalo Bills could not stop turning the ball over. I don't know if buttered right. popcorn was on the pregame menu or not, but between three balls on the ground, two fumbles lost, two interceptions in this game, they couldn't stop giving it away. And on the other side, the Denver Broncos, I believe in the first three quarters, started with the ball four times in plus territory and managed to put up like six points. Points. I don't know who would be more frustrating. So, Dad, you as a defender, if you're sitting there on the sideline, who was more frustrated? The wow. Bills defense watching their offense constantly give the ball away or the Broncos defense constantly watching their offense completely unable to do anything with the gifts that they're giving them? Wow, that, that's, a, that's a great question. Probably seeing, the, probably seeing the offense turn the ball over would do it because they always say, obviously, turnovers kill you. And rarely do you win. But we're sitting here in this game with Buffalo was minus three in the turnover category and basically should have won that game. Uh, but if you're asking me oh. specifically, I, I would say the turnovers would be the worst. But we're we're watching this game and, and it's one of those where everybody felt Buffalo was the better team coming in. And there's certainly questions about where they are. And yet they're, they're down nine to nothing and they're not playing well. And then they start to make a comeback and then they take a lead and everybody's like, okay, 
through all the the muck and mire that's gone on, especially the turnovers, they're they're probably going to win this game, and it'll be a sigh of relief. And you say, okay, it, it's not like college; nobody's getting ranked or rated. We'll work on the mistakes, but we got by with a win. But they screw that up as well, as we'll, we'll talk about with the interference call. And then 12 men on the field on a game-winning field goal that was missed. That was actually oh. missed. You would have won the game if you had 11, but you had 12. Will Lutz gets another shot. And that is the ball game uh, for for Buffalo. They lose. So, one, I think even the fans thought they were. it was ugly, it was horrible. Josh Allen leads the league in interceptions. It hasn't been good, and there's a lot of storylines there. But I still thought they were going to pull that one out and then just – how was it they they ripped vic- the defeat or victory they from the jaws of defeat or whatever or I don't know I'm they snapped def- right. they snatched defeat from the jaws of victory jaws because of victory. you're we- right what we saw in that scenario is going to be somebody's Joker villain turn like somebody in Buffalo is just going to have to snap because of what they saw there at the end of that game and dad you can take people into this from the defensive side because offensively what we saw twice in that game from the Denver Broncos was what we used to call the NASCAR field goal unit. Where at the end of the first half, you saw it. Denver didn't have any timeouts left. They knew they were driving to try and get in field goal range. And so with like 17 seconds left, they finished their last offensive play and then just had to have their field goal unit ready on the sideline to run in. You see offensive linemen rubbing their belly, which is how they report eligible to the field, to the uh, referee, which is like the funniest thing that we can do in sports is have a bunch of fat guys have to rub their bellies in order to declare themselves eligible. And then they go out there and they execute that on the fly without being able to go up and really set up for it they did that again at the end of this game Denver was kneeling out the ball they didn't have any timeouts left Buffalo called two timeouts to stop the clock so Buffalo had two stoppages of play to go over to the sideline and have the conversation with Sean McDermott their head coach talked about after the game and said we practice subbing on our field goal unit from the exact personnel group that we had on the field there you had two timeouts to talk it over and then you go out on the field and you biff that up with 12 there dad I think we can definitively say having 10 on the field greater than having 12 on the field because at least you get a chance to play it so Notre Dame vindicated this is, and you're right, Mike, I've been on both sides and I'd been one of those guys rubbing my belly. I, I was the end on the field goal units, both in, in, in everywhere I played. I was on the field goal unit in Houston, in, in Philadelphia, and in Miami. Uh, so I would be one of those guys. And yes, you work on it all the time, sprinting on X amount of seconds, try and get set up, run the field goal. And for the defense, it's usually not as bad because normally just about everybody is staying on the field for that. I mean, if you're a nickel, you're in dime, you might change a few people. Literally, though, you could run it out of the 11 that are on the field if you wanted to. If you didn't want to have to worry about sure. getting anybody in. But there are times, sometimes you have an offensive lineman who's 6'7", or you have a, a reserve D lineman who's 6'7", who doesn't play a lot, and you want to get them in the game, or just certain personnel who would, would do better or at least have a chance to block the field goal. So that's a reason you're changing some, but you're definitely you're changing somewhat less on the defensive side, even though on the offensive side it's mainly the O-line. But you work on it all the time. You're right. So Buffalo is out there looking like they're set to go on what would be the potential game winner for Denver. And no, I don't think you, nobody even thought about 12 men on the field, right? You see everybody lined up. You see one guy deep. 
kick the field goal, ball right, Buffalo Bills go nuts, fans go nuts, we win the game, you see a flag on the field, and you're like, okay, what could... A lot of times when you see that flag, my thought is the defense lined up offsides because it's going to be a game-winning kick. You're trying to get a block, so you line up offsides. So as soon as I saw the flag, I thought, "Uh uh-oh, Denver's going to get another shot because this is normally offsides. Because if somebody moved on offense, they would have blown the play dead and wouldn't even have let the kick happen. So then it's 12 men, and you're thinking, okay, I could live with the offside of somebody trying to get a jump on the ball. It would still hurt. But to have 12 guys and just literally – Nobody seemed to be losing their minds on the sideline or on the field that there were 12 guys on the field. And when they made that call, we were all like, what the hell, seriously? And then, of course, on TV, you, you get the number thing out, one, two, three, near 12. And like, oh, my God, they had 12 guys. So let's get another chance, five yards closer, nails it right down the middle, and it's ball game. But to your point, and, and listen, this isn't rocket science. You work on this all the time, both from the offensive side and the defensive side, in situational uh, situations of running on the field, sprinting on the field, knowing where you're supposed to be. I don't know who the extra person was in that case who was on the field. Obviously, they do. But what a horrible, horrible way to lose since that kid missed the field goal, and that would have been the ball game. Yeah, nightmare scenario there. And you could see it all over the face of Josh Allen, who was at the heart of a lot of the discussion that we're going to have next. This was Josh Allen after the game talking about what he saw from the Bills' effort last night. Sucks. Shouldn't have been in that position in the first place. Um, A lot of bad football. A lot of bad football. Yeah, I'm still confident, but it's no secret the clock's ticking, you know. Gotta have some urgency now. What what leaves you still confident in the offense after it's been so many weeks of kind of the same story here? Because we've done it before. Uh, Dad, he mentioned that sense of urgency. Right now, they're staring up at the Miami Dolphins in the division. Uh, obviously, they've got the head-to-head win so far this season when those two teams squared off. But it's been a downward spiral for this team in a while, for a while. We talked about the other day them and the Bengals currently both sitting outside of the AFC playoff scenario. So how concerned should the Buffalo Bills be at this point, Dad? Is any of this salvageable, or is this a broken team? Oh, very concerned. I mean, you know, there were... Now the chance about Ken Dorsey, the offensive coordinator, about his job at six games in a row. They haven't scored at least 26 points. They haven't had a streak like that since, I think, Josh Allen's rookie year. Uh, So they're not putting enough points on the board. And if you look at the AFC, after the division winners, you have two three-loss teams in Pittsburgh and Cleveland, and then four-loss teams in the Texans, four-loss team, and, and, and and then five loss teams. So technically they're there right but Denver has put themselves there as well they're four and five because that's what you have to start looking at and we keep talking about the AFC North we have a good possibility though they could beat each other up of them getting two teams in in the wild card so that would only leave one more spot and as and like I said right now you have one four loss team and then a bunch of five loss teams so are they in it yes but not the way they're playing. And we, we talked about this yesterday when we, were, when we were breaking down this game is 
the inconsistencies of, of Buffalo right now and what are you trusting and the turnovers. I mean, again, you know, Josh Allen right there in the lead in turnovers and then you lost a couple of fumbles. You're not supposed to win a game where you're minus three in the turnover rate, but they were right there. Outside of 12 men on the field, they would have pulled that game off in an, in an area where normally you don't. And even before that, we talk about the interference call. So it's Josh Allen who scores with, what, a little under two minutes to go, I believe, on a six-yard run, puts him up by one. So here's Russell Wilson leading another game-winning drive, of, of which I think he has the record now of, of game-winning drives of what he's done. And he throws a deep ball. It's zero coverage, again, meaning there's no safety back there. So you DBs, you're, you're, you're flat out one-on-one. They're sending the pressure on Wilson. And somehow Jerry Judy gets beyond Teron Johnson, you know, and, and you know that's the only thing he can beat you. Don't let the man get past you. And Judy was past him in a heartbeat. And the ball was actually under throw. If the ball was thrown correctly, it was six. But the ball was underthrown, so Judy, you got to stop for it. And Johnson ran into him. You had to make that call. There's no way you can say, let the players play at the end. That was interference, and it turned out to be a 28-yard penalty because it's a spot foul, and then that set up the scenario we've been talking about. Dad, let me ask you this, though, because I think a lot of the conversation now is going to start to turn into Sean McDermott hot seat conversation where looking at him and saying, all right, this is a guy, great defensive coordinator, but from a game management standpoint, from all the other things that we've talked about here and the field goal stuff falls into that, everything else falls into game management in some way, shape or form. And for Buffalo fans, I think that's been a point of frustration for a while. But even as the D coordinator, how do you feel about the all out blitz in that spot? You went all out the play before. I get it because you're trying to drive them back out but now you sacked him and knocked him way back here you've got this pivotal down and just send the house at him there to put him in that one-on-one matchup how do you feel about that call in that moment not a fan not a fan of that call listen I like aggressive play I mean the most fun I had in football was playing for Buddy Ryan and then Bud Carson in Philadelphia you want to talk about aggressive play but to me there's aggressive and aggressive smart play and when a team has to go that length of the field to get to field goal range I'd like to have somebody back there someone in case something like that happens where you know because a blitz doesn't get there every time you know and and give you know Denver credit enough to hold off the or 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 the fact that even if a blitz is going to get there you can hoist a ball up because you know you have one-on-one, right? You know it's going to be yeah. one-on-one. So before you even get hit, you know you got go routes going there. You're just going to hoist the ball. And you can catch a snap and you can hoist it before a free rusher can get there depending on where they're coming from. And then you're relying on A, a 50-50 ball, B, your guy obviously being able to go get it and their guy not, or interference, which is exactly what they got here. So... I'm not a fan of it, Mike. I, I like having a, someone back, some safety back deep in the field or deeper in the field for situations just like that. And I know you may not get as quick a pressure, but you're hoping to get some pressure to get the ball out quick, and then you have a guy kind of back there playing center field. So I am not a fan of that. We've seen that time and time again burn a team. It certainly worked. I mean, like coordinators would never do it if if we show stats and it works 5% of the time. They're not going to do it, but they feel we'd yeah, rather but have I also think pressure. you have a guy that's super aggressive like that that just gets in that mode. We saw it happen. Yep. I mean, Greg Williams lost his job with the Jets for going all-out blitz in a similar yep. situation at the end of a game. So 
I I I want to do say briefly for the Broncos impressive three-game stretch here right what they've managed yes. to do pulling their season out of a tailspin is incredible I don't think they're going to make the postseason because at the end of the day you still saw an offense that was wholly incapable of going out there and putting up points against a beat-up Buffalo defense that Buffalo defense has nothing yeah. to hang their hats about after the way that they played last night Denver I think still going to end up on the outside looking into the postseason just because I don't think they're that team but they've been resilient and offensively you've seen some of the rust moments pop back up it's been about a base Baseline bunch of stuff for him but last night that touchdown to Cortland Sutton was the most improbable completion of the next gen stats era they put that out during the game and we saw it and we thought that but then that bore it out statistically they're not going to be a playoff team dad but they at least I think are going to leave this season feeling a little bit more hopeful about the potential future there that is 1000% correct and quick second if you haven't seen the Cortland Sutton touchdown make sure you see it because I, when I saw the play, I'm like, oh, wow, he just had to lay it up there because of, uh, of the pressure. No way that was caught in bounds until you see the replay. Cortland Sutton, what an incredible job he did there. But you said it because we start talking about as the season goes on, we'll talk about quarterbacks and teams, and we know they paid him a lot of money, but is he going to stay there and be that guy? We know Sean Payton is going to be. But they may be building now. We'll we'll have to see. Really quickly on Buffalo, we talk about Sean McDermott and, and his timeline there. I think it's going to be Ken Dorsey. And I never like to see yeah. anybody get fired, but I think Ken Dorsey is going to be in some trouble. And for Denver, Mike, the game I'm doing this week we thought was going to get flexed. It's Minnesota at Denver. Look at the storylines. Denver winning three in a row and Minnesota and Josh Jobs, what he's doing. Now all of a sudden, man, this game Sunday night I'm going to call looks like a really fun one. Yeah, finally a little bit of juice there. So something to look forward to in the primetime slate this week, which is not the case for us this week. But I am with you, Dad. As the Buffalo Bills do the scouting report coming off this, I think Ken Dorsey is going to ultimately be the odd man out in this situation. Growing up playing sports, I learned really quickly that how you do the little things is how you're going to do everything. That's why coaches always harped on us about having our hand behind the line on sprints or picking up our locker because that was going to directly translate to critical moments on the field, making sure we're lined up right, taking the right steps so we can go out there and execute and win ball games. Small actions can have big benefits, just like how taking care of your gut can support your entire body's health. That's where our friends at Seed come into play. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is going to benefit your gut, skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. I just got my welcome kit and started taking Seed's DSO-1 myself and I'm loving it. I love the convenience of being able to have it in the cabinet with my other supplements because you don't need to worry about refrigerating it and I love the free travel vial that comes along with it. I'm constantly on the road and so being able to take DSO-1 with me on the go is huge for my lifestyle here. I'll tell you what else I love is the fact that it's backed by science. DSO-1 was developed in collaboration with Seed Scientific Board and based on their foundational work in probiotics and the microbiome and with new clinical trials and breakthrough research published in top scientific journals, Seed's probiotic research, development, and innovation programs make DSO-1 a product you can trust. And it's great in convenience, too. Probiotics and prebiotics work best when they're used consistently, just like any other routine health habit. And Seed's subscription service is going to easily help build DSO-1 into your routine, again, with no refrigeration required. So, trust your gut with Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to Seed.com slash Gojo and use code 25GOJO to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash gojo, code 25GOJO. All 
All right, welcome back to Gojo and Golick. Mike Golick Jr. and Mike Golick Sr. Excited to welcome in SEC Network host Peter Burns as we had plenty of news in college football this weekend. But Peter, first and foremost, you just flashed the Bucky's Cup for us coming on to camera. I made my first trip to Bucky's this weekend. You've got the merchandise here. For people that are on different sides of this because i've been amazed at the amount of people when i heard i was going to bucky's for the first time peter were so yeah. supportive were excited for me and then i've heard chirps from the other crowd that think bucky's is overrated here so i'd imagine i know where you fall but give the uninitiated a little taste of what bucky's is all about well like if there was heaven and it was full of unicorns and delicious treats it would basically be right below where bucky's is at like let's just put it this way like i Mike, you you've gotten a picture, right, with with Bucky himself. I mean, we like this is celebrity status. Like this is not just a regular gas station. This is like Nirvana with everything you ever needed in your life. I I I It really agree. is incredible. I, Beef jerky bar, clean bathrooms, incredible snacks, brisket sandwiches, and I brought Christmas presents for my nieces and nephew there. They're going to have Bucky's onesies coming out of this because it's the most well-branded uh, uh, gas station there, in the country. I got car insurance. I mean, it, it was it was it was it was everything we ever needed. <laughs> for for those that say it's overrated, that's kind of like the In-N-Out burger talk. I love In-N-Out. I don't think it's overrated and people think that Bucky's is overrated are completely wrong. It is a phenomenal i mean it just blows your mind when you see it and how big it is and what you can get inside so uh everybody if you see one stop by and uh and go inside and take pictures uh peter as far as what's going on before we get on the field um jimbo fisher is fired he gets 76 million dollars to not coach texas a&m why during the season did they do this and do they have do you think maybe somebody in mind or who a couple of people in mind might be to take that job yeah, it's a great question. I've been getting it a lot. And I think the, the deal is, is Jeremy Foley, the old Florida athletic director, once had a famous quote, says what needs to be done eventually should just be done now. And I think that they were worried about him getting momentum of beating uh, Mississippi State, mm. winning another game. And remember a couple of years ago, LSU was on the fence with less miles. And then all of a sudden they're like him and Han and, and the, he ends up winning against A&M. They carry him off the field. Only for a couple of games later, they end up firing less. So, I mean, like, <laughs> they learned a lesson from the SEC. Like, we sure as hell is never going to do that again. So, it, it was boosters just cutting a, a big check. Um, but, again, now they're on the hook from the athletic department for $7.5 million to not coach. Like, that's amazing to me. And I don't think that they have a name uh, right now. You know, I don't think this is they, – they, they're probably going to be the crown jewel unless Mac Brown decides to, to kind of – to call it a career – uh, North Carolina, as far as you know, the the marquee job that's going to be open. So I don't believe that they're going to have to rush to be first to market. They're going to take their time, and every single agent is going to use it as as a extension and leverage bait coming up soon. It's Jimmy Sexton's like Christmas gift to the world that oil money is about to determine a new hire. Uh, say, uh, you know, I have to imagine the only person I don't know if he represents him or not, but Dan Lanning's agent has to be furious because he's the only one that came out and categorically denied it yesterday. Now, I'll say he's in the middle of a playoff run in this team. I'm sure the last thing you want to do when you believe you've got a shot to win a national title is go out and introduce that kind of chaos by not emphatically and, and just, denying it. Peter. And he's got a contract extension. Remember, it's like. I don't even know if he signed it, right? Like, because sometimes he takes like a month or two. Like, he literally got a contract extension. He might get a contract extension before the contract extension ink actually dries. <laughs> so, that, that's the chaos of of all of this right now for A and M. 
who uh, who would be the ideal candidate for them? I mean, you're looking out in the name the names that have been put out there. Who would be the hire that A and M fans would see as the home run? I mean, Mike Elko is one of those names that's out there. He was a defensive coordinator. He's done a great job at Duke. There's going to be some names thrown out, like Lane Kiffin. That's not happening. Um, you know, Dion. That's not happening right now. So everybody's going to to put their name in the mix. There's two different names that I think are kind of interesting to me. One comes out of way out of left field, and it's Dabo Sweeney. Right. Think about what's happening at Clemson. It hasn't been the you know the, the best of times. He's told everybody to get the hell off the bandwagon. Um, and you know if Tyler and Spartanburg is starting to kind of <laughs> get into your crawl a little bit, might be time to go a different direction. Um, but I, I just don't think I think Jimbo was trying to get away from FSU when he took the A and M job. I don't think you get a coach that was trying to get away from Clemson to take that job. The guy that I love and I think would be fantastic, and I say this, and I got the helmet right there. I'm a former UTSA golfer. There's a guy named Jeff Trailer that coaches the Roadrunners, who's unbelievable. And I'm telling you, once you get an opportunity to see who this guy is, he is as uniquely Texan as anybody, right? Like he's out of Friday Night Lights, and the job that he's done with no recruiting budget and really no bones around UTSA's program to build them into a great, um, honestly, a, a great squad. That's where I would go, and he would be the next home run hire in my mind. Wow, that would be uh, that would be an interesting move. You mentioned that Texas A&M could be the, the cherry job, or maybe North Carolina if Mac Brown leaves. What about Michigan? And I don't mean Jim Harbaugh being fired. I mean Jim Harbaugh basically saying, "I've had enough of what's going on. I got NFL teams chasing me every year. I'm ditching to the NFL." Yeah, I mean, between the NCAA and the way the Big Ten has handled this, and I mean, like even the Michigan president. I mean, like it may be. Whenever he came out saying, you know, basically, hey, our thoughts and prayers are with Harbaugh, I was like, who has brought this upon themselves, right? Like, come on, let's be honest. <laughs> um, and I think Michigan would that would be an interesting job. However, if Harbaugh goes, which I do think it's interesting the way that this thing has whole been handled, I would have been fully on board saying at the beginning of the season he was leaving. And then now this is almost like a, you know what? I'm pissed off. Like I want I want to go out there and I want to showcase yep. something. You see that from the players and I think that he feeds off this like weird vibe energy. Like Harbaugh's a vibes guy. Total vibes guy and I think he would just be like, "You know what? Screw it. Let's just see how many I can win and how many times I can beat the Buckeyes in a row." I mean, he did claim them, crown them America's team yesterday. So now that you've got that moniker, how can you run away to anything else once you've become America's team? Uh, Peter, I last one for me here. I want him in college okay. football. I need Jim Harbaugh in yes. college football. Like we, we college football is about characters, right? And it, and it's whether it's Lane Kiffin being weird or Lincoln Riley not letting guys available for press conferences. Like, like if I want kind of like. Everybody is 500 level. We have a salary cap, all this stuff, and and I get you know okay sound bites. I'll watch football on Sundays, okay. Um, but if I want just chaos, I want people peeing and dog celebrations and the egg bowl and weird <laughs> stuff and the iron bowl and old olden buckets. Like I want weird people. Jim Harbaugh is my weird person. I need in college football. I mean. Arkansas just had to come out and actually put out a statement explaining and apologizing for their players watching a Christmas movie at halftime. Polar it's Express. the dumbest, most beautiful sport yeah. possible. It's perfect. Polar Express. Oh. It's, God bless it. God it's, bless it. God bless it. Peter, is Jaden Daniels going to win the Heisman now after this weekend? Is it over and done? 
The, what what what's difficult for him is that a he's going to be playing at noon in two weeks against Texas A and M right as the time that Michigan's and Ohio State kick off. So I think he gets a little bit lost in that mix. And a they've got to win that game because if he has four losses, they're just not going to give it to him. But I saw what he did in Baton Rouge a couple nights ago, and it was nothing short of, of, of fantastic. I mean, it was record breaking. They couldn't stop it. The problem is he's not going to play in championship weekend. I think Bo Nix will. And if that's the case, I look at Bo Nix or Marvin Harrison Jr. or even Michael Penix, that they're going to have, have that last laugh. Unless he puts up this stupid monster numbers, I don't know if he's going to win it. I love it, but I don't think he'll actually win it. Uh, it is uh, incredible. One of the more unique and incredible individual performances I have ever seen. Peter, we could do this all day with you, man. We appreciate the time. We appreciate spreading the Bucky's love. Thanks so much, brother. <laughs> Have a great rest of the season. Hopefully we'll talk to you soon, and, and, Peter. And Pops didn't even yell at me today. Like, this is the first time we've had a conversation where, like, I'm man. never asking that a-hole ever on again. Yeah, Mike, Mike asked me to be nice, so I, I played nice today. Next time you're on, I'm coming at you both barrels. Let's go. I'm I'm ready. I'll get my buckies fired up and we'll go. Thanks, boys. I know. Thanks, my, my one regret I have for my trip is that I went to Bucky's and the first thing I walked in and saw was the giant inflatable Bucky's beaver lawn ornament for Christmas and I didn't pull the trigger on it. So anybody in the state of Texas that knows me, if you got some time and you pass a Bucky's, add it to the like holiday list for your boy because I think it would look great in Manhattan Beach. <laughs> Sound the trumpets, it's horse racing time. So saddle up for the action with DK Horse, an official DraftKings affiliate. Right now, new customers who download the DK Horse app can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250. Just deposit $25 or more and complete the playthrough requirement. Wager on your favorite horses, then watch the races live right in the app. Download the DK Horse app now. New customers get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250 when they opt in with code GOLIC. Only on the DK Horse app. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 18+, plus, 21+, plus in certain states, to open or access an account and resident of a state where DK Horse is available. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. One per new customer. Match calculated on first deposit up to a maximum of $250. Deposit requires two-time playthrough of settled wager within 168 hours. Bonus released in $25 increments. Deposit and eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at DKHorse.com. So we talked about it a little bit with Peter Burns, who we appreciate giving us some time, but we got to dive into some of this Jim Harbaugh sound from yesterday because we finally heard from the man himself coming off a weekend where Michigan gets a win against Penn State without Jim Harbaugh on the sideline because Tony Petiti and the Big Ten announced that they were going to suspend him for three games basically the day before. And so we see Sharon Moore, we see the crying, we see everything that happened there, Dad. But now we get to hear from the guy himself. And it has been an absolute gem, which included this that we referenced. Jim Harbaugh talking about his plans to appear at the court hearing where a judge will hear arguments about whether or not to grant Michigan a temporary restraining order to nullify the suspension. They want Jim Harbaugh back on the field in all actuality for the Ohio State game if nothing else and it led us God bless the broken road that led us here to this Jim Harbaugh officially crowning the Michigan Wolverines as America's team take a listen yeah Watson I would have to say I mean everybody it's got to be America's team it's got to be America's team America America loves a team that that uh, you know beats the odds beats the adversity you know overcomes with the naysayers and you know, critics, so-called experts think um, 
That's my favorite kind of team. Hmm. Dan, the thing is, is I actually believe that he believes that about this yes. team. I 100% believe because you know the football brain that happens inside most locker rooms for teams where you're so convinced inside your little bubble that everyone in the outside world is out to get you, that they're all wrong and that you're all right. But I think Jim even goes a step beyond that just because of what a big meathead, incredible football guy he is. Mike, I also think that there are people who who believe that from the standpoint of the players is what is what is the one thing that's been constant through all of this is the players are the ones that get screwed. The adults make the mistakes and the players have to pay for it. And in, in this case, not having their head coach on the sideline or if the, the postseason got taken away. So I do think there's a, a group or a section of the country that's like, you know what? I'm going to root for those players. Not so much Harbaugh saying it's America's team, but these players, man, who have not had their head coach. You think so? Oh, I think so. Because I I think those that worry about the players, the kids, as we call them in college football, that because, you know, Jim Harbaugh gave a recruit a cheeseburger, he's not on the field for the first three games. Because of Connor Stallions and the coaching staff, you know, Jim Harbaugh is not on the field now. It had nothing to do with the players. So you know what? Man, I'm going to root for the players. The players have come out and said, go ahead and treat us as the villains if you want. We're out here just doing our thing. There's part of me, Mike, and I know you don't like Michigan. For me, it was USC at Notre Dame. For you, it was Michigan. But there is part of me that says, you know what? These players have done nothing wrong at all, and they're getting all the the grenades thrown around them. There's part of me that says, man, I'd love to see them kind of pull it off. Oh, Dad, I think you are in the overwhelming minority. I think most of America is so sick of this team. I'm not saying I am because I'm with you. I have empathy for the players in the situation and what they've been through because they have been at fault in none of this. But I think you're extending a lot of that to a group in college football that is not equipped to handle that, not equipped to think like that. I think they look at this as... In college football, we've always talked about it. The coaches are the figureheads for these teams. The players move so much, especially now in the uh, transfer portal era. But even when it was, hey, you got to be there for at least three years to even just go pro and transferring's a lot harder. Coaches have been the figureheads. And so I think a lot of public sentiment comes off that. And hearing Jim Harbaugh go up there and say that they are America's team, saying well, that he wanted yeah, to go yeah. and argue in court like Tom Cruise from A Few yeah. Good Men, saying that he's, you know, uh, I mean, everything that we've heard from him, everything we've seen from them publicly has been defiant and has been treating them like they are the victim, even from the coaching sound there. And most people look at the situation and go, you made the problems that you are dealing with now. And so I disagree. I don't think there is going to be a lot of empathy at all for this team outside of Ann Arbor and outside of the state of Michigan. Well, maybe I'm just speaking for myself because there there are normally games where I'm like, hey, can can somebody give Michigan, you know, when somebody's one of the top teams, you want to see if somebody can knock them off. There's part of me that's like, Man, I hope for these players. And I say it, and I always preface it by saying, I hope for the players' sake, man, that they just make a run. Because I'm separating coaches from players. And and I get what you're saying. A lot of people can't. They're going to put them all together. And like Peter Burns said, and I agree, Harbaugh is the gift that just keeps on giving. Said while he's feeling sick, he's not going to get sick. You know, a virus, he's the iron wall that a virus smashes itself on. He'll just do push-ups and eat an apple. I mean, 
He's gold. He's gold. But from the player standpoint, and we were both players, and we always think player first. That's where my mind goes, Mike. And and, and I don't think I'm alone. I may not be in the majority, but I, I do think there are going to be some people that are rooting for the players themselves on the field. But, but you're right. Overall, it is the adults that have caused this, and it's always the kids. Again, I do that in air quotations that have to pay the price. I I think you're. I think your people, I think, and, and like, I, I understand your sentiment there. I just don't think college football fans have that level of discrepancy on this particular issue. What I will say is I, I'm interested in the conversation that keeps coming up because going into that Penn State game with them, I don't know how much sign stealing goes into. We put two extra offensive linemen on the field and punched you in the face. The interesting question for me is going to be the Ohio State game and what I think right. is going to happen in this situation. I think Michigan's going to receive this temporary restraining order. I think Jim Harbaugh is going to be back on the field to end the season. I think we're going to get to the postseason and Big Ten, like you always say, is going to punch his pilot this. Tony Petiti is going to wash his hands of the situation and they're going to be able to say, hey, we did all we could. We got right. you to the postseason. Now this is the NCAA's problem after the season because the CFP, we know, not governed by the NCAA. We right. know the NCAA is not going to work that fast. And so this is what we talked about. Peter Burns is actually the guy I saw lay out the scenario where now the Big Ten gets to look up and say, well, we tried. And then the legal process did what it did. Jim Harbaugh's back on the sideline. And quite honestly, Dad, that's the way I want it. I don't want any excuses going into the game this year because right. I think that matchup has become fascinating. What we saw against Penn State was a team that in critical moments decided to go back to the old way. Michigan has spent the majority of this season being a middle-of-the-pack rushing team and letting J.J. McCarthy air it out a little bit more. Going up against Penn State, that changed. Now, you can say part of that is because Penn State couldn't push the ball downfield at all. We saw them make a change at offensive coordinator because of that. But now I am fascinated against a more balanced team. And by balanced, I mean Ohio State has Marvin Harrison Jr. Yes. on offense and who will be instantly be the best offensive player far and away between either of these two teams. What does Michigan do in critical moments if Ohio State is made able to actually muster offense in a way that Penn State wasn't? That's my one concern coming off of this game. We've seen J.J. McCarthy in the game last year throw them to victory in that one. Can he do it again in this game? That will be the biggest question there, the biggest thing I have concerns about. But Michigan will rightly be favored in that game. Yeah, as they should be. They have Maryland first. They'll take care of business there. And then... I just think they'll control the ball, Mike. I mean, as we talked about, they ended that Penn State game with 32 straight runs. Marvin Harrison Jr. is the great equalizer. He gives you a chance. We keep talking about a great defense always gives you a chance. Marvin Harrison always gives you a chance when you have him. He is absolutely amazing for that team. But I just don't. I just don't see it for four quarters. I just see Michigan being too good. I see Michigan pay, playing that old time football and just playing smash mouth. I know McCarthy threw the ball last year, but I just think, I just think with Corm and that old line and that D line, I just think they're going to be too much and win the Big Ten. And then, then well, you know, we'll we'll lay the cards out in the playoffs and see what happens there. I, and by the way, I say they'll be favored because they'll be at home in this game. And yeah, while Ohio yeah. State's been the number one team in the initial college football playoff rankings, and we got round two of those rankings coming up tonight where I don't think much is going to change based on the results we saw this weekend. Oregon wins a closer one than people expected against USC. Washington wins a closer, I, know, I wouldn't say closer than expected, a close one against Utah at home. 
Ohio State hangs on, Michigan does their thing in that big game, and will certainly get the boost because of it. I could see, Dad, Georgia coming off now two straight ranked wins, including a boat racing of Ole Miss this past weekend. I could see them leapfrogging Ohio State for that number one spot just on the strength of that because I'd imagine that was probably pretty close to begin with. And you know what? They could do that, and it doesn't matter because if Ohio State to beat Michigan, Ohio State would be back at number one. So it's all going to play out, just like the Heisman. You're a Heisman voter. I think it's going to come down to that Pac-12 title game of Penix Jr. against Bo Nix. That could be it for the Heisman. That'll be exciting. Yeah, you've got Marvin Harrison Jr. creeping up there in the odds as well. And as we talked about, Jaden Daniels coming off of a 600-yard individual offensive performance. Probably going to have something to say about that. Gojo and Golik here on the DraftKings Network. Dad, we've talked a lot about the AFC playoff picture this morning because the Buffalo Bills are on the outside of it looking in. And I don't know about you, I've totally lost confidence in that team despite the fact that they've got exemplary a quarterback with so much talent that's so high variance because of the turnover proclivity since he came into the league, the most turnovers of any player in the NFL, but he's so otherworldly potent on the other side. I always worry about them backdooring their way in, but I can't trust this team. Like It's been Super Bowl or bust for the Buffalo Bills this season, and I can't trust them in that conversation nope. anymore and won't. I won't do that to myself now, so I feel like we can confidently put them to the side on that. Is that fair? Uh, it's absolutely fair. Uh, absolutely. Now, it's like we've done this each week about a top three in the AFC. I know we're going to go to the NFC, but we know the Chiefs are there. And Cincinnati takes a step back. Buffalo takes a step back. So is it just Kansas City and Baltimore who, oh, by the way, they lost to Cleveland. And Cleveland and Baltimore split right. this year. So now it's like we, th- we said we have the deepest conference by strength now we have a number one in Kansas City and we have some some flip-flopping after that on where we're going to go it just looks like an even easier road for the Chiefs to the Super Bowl yep, again like, unless Baltimore yep. can really you know fine-tune all of this it's what we've seen in the past is so lodged in my brain where we know the Chiefs have managed to work their way through problems before and find their way on top because they've got 15 and no one else does I'll tell you what the, the biggest I don't want to say bummer but maybe miscalculation you know who would be there if their quarterback played the way they paid him to play and thought he was going to play it would be cleveland if deshaun watson would have gotten back to that you know in the area of top five quarterback play that he had in houston this would be the next team right because their defense is phenomenal they along with baltimore and if they had that on the offensive side but you have a deshaun watson who hasn't played as well as you thought and been nicked up got another mri on his ankle so that that's kind of been what the expectation was and what reality is 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 something that's holding them back i think if you could have gotten deshaun healthy and playing like a top 15 quarterback you'd have this yeah. team prime for a deep playoff run that's how good the defense has been but dad all this underscores that the nfc might slowly be morphing into a more interesting playoff picture mm-hmm. as we have it situated right now when you look at the current nfc playoff picture if they started today and who would be involved in all this coming off this past weekend we know we've talked about the philadelphia eagles as the number one team in our power rankings here on the show we'll do that again on thursday But the 49ers, Dad, after this weekend, back atop of the NFC West, where they've been kind of tied with the Seattle Seahawks. We talked about that last week. But 
dead when you look at the result from the 49ers this past weekend they get Trent Williams back they get Debo Samuel back is it as simple as seeing that and saying okay they're fine now after they go out and boat race the Jags well I mean they they hit a, a few hiccups during the during the regular season what it's what teams do that's why we've only had one undefeated team you know since 1972 and while we had some close teams there usually you don't play a perfect regular season um though the Patriots did it before losing in the Super Bowl. I get it. But they stumbled here a few weeks in a row. I don't know if it's easy as saying that, but Debo Samuel is back four catches, 30 yards. Not a monster game, but him being back adds to the arsenal of where you go for Brock Purdy, who threw three touchdowns and no interceptions. Trent Williams, you always have to remember to say he's back because what a solid left tackle uh, that he is. But it, it it's the three there, right, that we're talking about? Is it not? It's San Francisco, it's Philadelphia, and Dallas. Dallas is, we keep talking about their their defense. Their offense has been money the last few games. They're playing Carolina this week, so I know it's the NFL and anything can happen, but, I mean, come on. This is one you can't give away. While San Francisco plays Tampa Bay, and then it's Philly and KC. It's the Super Bowl rematch on Monday night. So, I mean, they, they, Philly obviously has the toughest game of those three, but I think it's those three. And then do you put Detroit in with those three, or are they just on the outside looking in? Are they knocking on that door? Are they through that door? Because that's going to be, that's going to be the four we talk about, but is it the three, and then we go to the next level? I would have Detroit firmly in there just because if I'm yeah. looking like, yes, the trajectory since they played for Dallas and San Francisco has been very different, right? San Francisco just pulled themselves out of a skid, but I think you look there, Dad, we assumed a team with that many all pros on it wouldn't suffer from what we just saw happen, which was a lack of depth that shone through when a couple of their pivotal weapons were off there. And I include Trent Williams in the weapons conversation. All of a sudden it started to look a little bit different because I don't know about you. Brock Purdy was not a different quarterback this last game than we saw before. We just saw a defense that clearly benefited from bringing Chase Young over and was able to go and get a bunch of pressure, drop guys back, and I think match coverage with pass rush perfectly in a way that bothered Trevor Lawrence and a Jags offense that, quite frankly, Dad, once you get out of the opening play script, has been underwhelming for a majority of the season. The Jags are a really confusing team, and I think that's why overall negotiating the NFC landscape is difficult because the Cowboys have beat up on bad teams and then gotten and then gotten losses when they've played the upper crust in right. San Francisco and the Philadelphia Eagles in this conference. And so I don't know how much differently I'm supposed to think about them, even though they seem to have finally figured out, hey, CeeDee Lamb's our number one receiver. Let's throw him the ball a ton and good things are going to happen here. Let me ask you, if you had to rank them right now, just the two, and I think I might lean Detroit. Would you put Detroit ahead in a, in a power ranking? Detroit ahead the cowboy ahead of the Cowboys and and listen they have a better record they only have the two losses and uh, Dallas has three I would think if if you're ranking the NFC I think you'd almost put Detroit third right put Philly or San Fran one and two however you want to do it and then, and then Detroit and then Dallas though some people may give Dallas the go now because they've won three in a row and the offense has come alive albeit not against great teams but. Uh, so we'll see going forward. And again, Carolina this week, so it's not like uh, they can prove a lot outside of just getting the W here. But, you know, I, I think that I think it's tough for people to put Detroit in there because Detroit hasn't been there. And what Dan Campbell is doing there has been nothing short of spectacular. And now we're seeing in the AFC side in year one of D'Amico Ryan and what's happening in Houston. Because, by the way, Houston is only just the one game behind 
Uh, Jacksonville right now. And already Houston smoked Jacksonville the first time they played by 20 points. I think 37 to 17, I think the score was. So, I mean, kudos to what's going on there. But, yeah, I think Detroit, I'd almost put him in the – would you put him in the top three ahead of the Cowboys? I think at this point, based on what they've done now, listen, Detroit – had a game where they gave up a ton of points against the Chargers. They got dropped by the Ravens in one of their first games against really yep. upscale competition since the Chiefs and the Seahawks to start the season. Like, Dad, their schedule has not been a murderer's row, and that's putting no. it lightly. And then they played the uh, the Baltimore Ravens, and they got dropped pretty hard. So you're right in that they're overcoming a bunch of inertia, but for the Cowboys, that been their thing only counts so much. I get you've won a playoff game, but based on the talent of this roster, that's what I feel like we're stuck on is, hey, we know what this weapon of a defense is supposed to be we know what the offensive line and receiver group is supposed to be but in the big games where it's supposed to be the measuring stick it's fallen short and then everybody else they've gone out there and they've blown their doors off and it's looked really impressive and man let us overall take this message from the buffalo bills or excuse me not the buffalo bills let us overall take this message from the miami dolphins and the denver broncos that maybe blowouts aren't the way to judge and determine the quality of these teams overall and then for me, it's like after the four in the NFC, who legitimately do we think could could take over in the NFC? I mean, Seattle, are we going there? The way Minnesota is now with Josh Dobbs, I'm not taking anybody in the NFC South to do that. So it almost seems like there's four and then a monster drop-off to who potentially could put together a run. I just don't, I don't see it out of anybody else. Uh, No, I would agree. I I think right now it feels like you're asking about that dividing line between Detroit and maybe Dallas there. I do think it is firmly that for big space, everybody else who's going to come after that right now. And that's including the Saints who are currently leading that division. But Derek Carr injured there and even before that offense, not looking anywhere close to what people expected with him coming up over center there. I think you've got that top four. And then I think after that, it really is Seattle and Minnesota. That's the only two teams I'd be thinking about. One, because Geno Smith, we saw that season last year. We know the weapons they've got in that room. And then the wild card Josh Dobbs that you're going to get to see in primetime right now who is slowly starting to work his way into the conversation about is this longer than a one-year rental in Minnesota right. for Josh Dobbs right. depending how this goes that I becomes think that a really a, interesting a conversation pers- you guys can have I completely agree 100 percent